I'm going to tell you something you may not know about me, and that is I come from a long line of truck drivers. Seriously, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, and my father all drove a truck at some point. I don't just mean a pickup, I mean a big rig, you know, an 18-wheeler. It is deep inside of my blood, you guys. It's, I've often joked, you know, if this whole pastor thing doesn't work out, maybe I'll just buy a big rig and I'll gain 50 pounds and Amber and I will head out on the open road. What do you say, sweetheart? Nope. By the way, that's how we all talk in Texas, seriously. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like the normal thing. And in fact, my grandparents did exactly that. My grandmother and my grandfather were long-haul team truck drivers, which meant that they spent four to six months in a row trapped in a cab with each other, driving all over the U.S. They would only come home two or three times a year. They'd come back to Dallas. And um, I was always so excited when they came in for a week or 10 days. I was excited for a bunch of different reasons. A, because, you know, I love my grandparents and I wanted to see them. I didn't get to see them all that often. I loved it when they came home because they had tons of pictures of all the places they had been. This was the early 80s, so the internet wasn't a thing. And so if you wanted to see a picture of some place like Mount Rushmore, then somebody had to take a picture and then come back and show you. So it was really cool to see all the pictures of, of the places that they had been. Then they would have stories, you know, of sure, the places that they had been to, but also the crazy stuff that happens in truck stops, you guys. If you don't know that, Truck stops are one of the nastiest places on the planet. And so my grandparents would always have these stories about the things that they had seen and experienced at truck stops around the world. Now, I will tell you one of the things that got me most excited when I knew my grandparents were coming home is that they had a dog that I loved, okay? This dog was a black miniature poodle. And this dog actually lived on the truck with them. In fact, they named this dog Trucker because... He was like a little canine trucker. I mean, he rode uh, seriously the entire year. So grandparents and dog living inside of an 18-wheeler for months and months on end. And I loved this dog. I got so excited every time he came home because I love all dogs, you guys. I'm just a dog person. If you and I are out walking the neighborhood, somebody comes walking our way with a dog, there is basically a 100% chance I'm gonna stop and pet that dog, just so you know, okay? It's the cheapest therapy ever. I just feel better every time I've had a nice little pat on the head for a dog. And I'll just say, if you guys are here this morning and you don't like dogs, I'm a little suspicious of you, okay? We could probably be friends, but we're never going to be best friends because I, I just don't know if I can trust you if you don't like dogs. I love dogs, and I love this little dog named Trucker. The problem was, as much as I love Trucker, Trucker hated me. I don't know what it was about this dog, but he was the meanest little dog on the entire planet. He was never happy to see me. I was always happy to see him. He was never happy to see me. And in fact, about half the time, maybe even a bit more than that, that I would go to pet trucker, he would bite me on the hand. I mean, constantly, time after time after time. Oh, it drove me crazy. And I don't mean he just like kind of nipped at the air to warn me like, dude, I'm not in a good mood. Leave me alone today. I mean, that dog would bite me hard on the hand. And so it's important that I tell you, I had never done anything to this dog. Okay. It's not like the first time I saw him, I accidentally stepped on his tail and he hated me from that point on. I had never done anything mean to this dog. All I wanted to do was, you know, cuddle the dog as a six-year-old. And that dog was not having it the vast majority of the time. Sometimes though, I don't know why, Trucker was super chill. And so I would walk up and I'd be like, 
can I pet you? Can I pet you? And he'd be like, sure. And I'd pet him on the head and we'd have a nice little petting session. I mean, it was great. It was like he was a good dog. And that happened just often enough to keep me going back, you know, to keep trying to pet this dog time and time again. I knew it was a bad idea. I knew the likelihood was that I was going to get bit on the hand, but there was like this compulsion inside of me. I just could not stop myself from trying to pet this dog that always tried to bite me. Of course, my family, man, they had zero cares to give. They were like, Danny, listen, I mean, if you are going to pet this dog that you know is trying to bite you nearly every time, you deserve to get bit, okay? So that's on you. Parenting was different in the 80s, you guys. Today, that dog would be put down in a heartbeat. But in the 80s, they were like, that's your fault. Maybe we should put you down, okay? Just different mindset. So my parents, I mean, they just, you know, don't mess with the dog. If, if you don't want to get bit, don't mess with the dog. But I could not help myself. I just, I had to go in. I had to try to pet that dog. I remember so vividly thinking as I reached out my hand, this is going to end bad. This is not a good idea. This is not a good idea. And it usually wasn't a good idea. But there was something inside of me that even though I knew I should say no, kept me saying yes. Kept me doing something that I knew was hurtful, harmful, had the potential to be really, really bad, and yet I found myself doing it over and over and over again. Can anybody relate to that sentiment this morning? Do you ever have that battle in your life? Not petting a mean dog. Most of you are smarter than me. But what I mean is you constantly have this desire or temptation to do something that you know you shouldn't do. Things that you know are probably harmful and unhealthy, and in the long run, they may come back and bite you. You know all of that is true, and yet you find yourself stuck in this cycle where you keep doing it anyway, over and over. You want out. You don't want to participate. You don't want to be a part of that, but you can't find any way to quit. If that's where you're at this morning, can I tell you, first of all, you are not alone. I want you to know that. You are not alone. Every single person in this theater faces temptation daily. The temptation to do things that are harmful physically, emotionally, financially, certainly spiritually. Every single one of us is tempted. Now, here's the good news. If you find yourself caught in this cycle of temptation where you, you keep doing things you don't want to do, you keep giving in when you know you should be standing strong, if that is where you're at, Jesus promises us there is a way out. Whether your temptation is very, very minor, like cheating on your diet, or your temptation is major enough to land you in jail. There is a way out for you, a way for you to overcome the temptations that get put in your life. If you're caught in this cycle, if you want to give up or, or go beyond some of the things that you've been stuck in for years and years and years, I'm telling you, this series that we're starting today is going to be a game changer for you. And the reason I know that there's a way out is because in the, in the scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, there there are these really interesting and powerful verses, just two verses that I'm going to read to you here and see if this doesn't help you to understand what it takes to overcome some of these temptations you face. The scripture says, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And the Bible says, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. 
Hey, that phrase, a way out, is going to be really important. In fact, we've titled this entire series, A Way Out, because that's what so many people are looking for. Again, whether it's a small little habit that you wish you could overcome, or it is something that has literally held you in bondage for years, you haven't been able to get beyond it. I want you to know that through the power of Christ, through the, the teachings of the scripture, you can overcome. You can find a way out from any single habit or addiction, behavior, thought pattern, or temptation that you could ever experience. I'm telling you guys, this is going to be a good series for some of you. Now today is just a bit of an introduction. We're just going to introduce the topic of temptation. What does the Bible say about it? We're going to kind of orient ourselves for where we'll be over the next few weeks. But just because this is an introduction, don't go to sleep on me, okay? I think there'll be some really, really good stuff in here. Now, Let's start with the question like, what even is temptation? What is temptation? How do we define it? What is temptation? If you Google temptation, which by the way, I do not recommend you do unless you have safe search turned on for your browser, okay? Ask me how I know. Anyway, if you Google temptation, you'll find a very straightforward and and basic definition. We could define, and the dictionary defines temptation as the desire to have or do something that you shouldn't. That's what the dictionary says. It's just the desire to have or do something that you know you shouldn't. And that's a decent starting place for understanding temptation. That's okay, but it's a bit elementary. This is kind of like a grade two definition of what temptation is. In fact, if I'd gone to any of you, whether you're religious or not, and I said, hey, what is temptation? Can you define it or describe it? You would come up with an answer that's very, very similar to this. And it's a good starting place, but I don't think it goes far enough. If we want to overcome temptation, if you want to be able to say no when you keep saying yes, if you want to do the healthy thing instead of the easy thing, if you want to make some progress in your life, you're going to need a better definition of temptation than that. So what I want to do today is give you two different definitions of temptation. And these two different ones are both valuable and rich and helpful. The first one I'm going to give you is quite practical. The second definition of temptation is a lot more theological. Here's the cool thing. You can latch on to whichever of these definitions you want to. If you want the practical one, cool, take it and run with it. If you need the deeper theological one, then I want you to snatch that up and run with it. I'm going to be referring to both over the course of this message series, Okay, so let's, let me give you one way of looking at temptation, and I think this is going to be very, very helpful for some of you. We could define temptation as the desire to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. It's the desire to meet a legitimate, God-given need inside of every one of us, but to do it in an illegitimate way. This is a very, very important understanding. Can we go to the next slide, please? This is a very, very important understanding. Um, Oh, sorry, go back. I'm lost already in my slides. This is a very, very important understanding of what it means to face temptation and where it comes from and why it exists even in the first place. When you get right down to it, every single temptation that you and I will ever face, it stems from a legitimate need that God has placed inside of us that we just try to meet in an illegitimate way, okay? So I can illustrate this for you. Um, Imagine, well, not imagine, but every single one of us, we have a legitimate need placed by God inside of us for financial stability, right? We all need to make sure our bills are paid. We don't want to fight with our spouse or our, our loved one over the fact that we don't have enough resources and we need to make sure that we're not stressed out every single week about, you know, buying food or paying the electricity and all that stuff. We have a legitimate need for a stable life. 
But temptation will come along and say, you can meet that legitimate need in an illegitimate way if you want to. So the voice of temptation would say, you need cash. You could take some of the cash from that fundraiser and nobody would know about it. See, it's a legitimate need, but you're going to meet it in an illegitimate way. We all have a legitimate need for sex. Every single one of us. Do you realize this desire for physical intimacy, for pleasure with people that we love? This, this desire even for sex is a legitimate thing. It comes from God. God is the one who gave you your sex drive, okay? But there is a voice in our world that will come along and say, here's a legitimate need, but you know, you don't have to meet it legitimately. You could just pop up a private browser and you could have all the sex you want and you don't even have to worry about like finding a mate and committing to them for life. You don't have to involve anybody else. You can meet your legitimate need in an illegitimate way. You have a legitimate need for God's love in your life. I mean, every single one of us does. And temptation will come along and say, okay, here's a legitimate need, but you're gonna meet it in an illegitimate way. And so the voice of temptation might say, listen, God will love you if you do right, if you behave, if you follow the rules, if you keep the commandments, if you look the part. Temptation says, here's a shortcut that will get you where you want to go. One way to understand temptation is to say this is a legitimate need that I'm meeting in an illegitimate way. Now, this is what I'm, I'm going to explain why this is so very powerful. Because if you can start to understand that underlying every single temptation you face is a legitimate need, when you're faced with temptation, you can actually kind of dissect your desires and feelings. And you can say, okay, I know part of what I'm experiencing here is good and right and proper. And the way that I'm trying to fulfill this need may not be the proper or good or right way. So let's say just before you hit post on that next Instagram post, right? Then just before you hit the, the button to send that out into cyberspace, you might pause for a sec and say, why am I really posting a half naked picture of myself on Instagram? Like what's really motivating this post? And if you take just a, just a second, and listen, I'm not picking on you guys, okay? If you post a half-naked picture on Instagram this week, I didn't say, I don't know. But I'm just saying, like if you pause for a moment and you say, what's really behind this? You know what you might identify? There's a legitimate need that you're trying to meet in an illegitimate way. See, all of us have a legitimate need to be desired and valued by other people. That comes from God. It's a part of being human. It's not a bad thing. But... It might be an illegitimate way to meet that need if you're posting about your booty gains. You know what I mean? Like it's just, there are good ways, there are bad ways, there are helpful ways, there are unhelpful ways, there are healthy ways, and there are unhealthy ways. And, and we need to be conscious of which is which. And one of the ways you can do that is to break it down. Say part of this is healthy and good. Part of this is probably unhealthy, unhelpful, maybe even sinful. And if you can separate the two, it can give you a bit of perspective. I'll tell you personally, this one thought has been more of a game changer in my approach to understanding and avoiding temptation than anything else. Because I understand this is why it's so hard for me to say no. This is why it's so hard for you to say no. When you're really tempted, you're like, but I want it. Why do I want it so badly? It's because there is a good and proper need that's been placed inside of you by God. It's just been warped by temptation. And so temptation offers you a shortcut to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Let me give you a second definition. This one is a little more theological. Like I said, some of you guys are really gonna appreciate this one. 
we could also talk about temptation as the promise that we will find satisfaction at the expense of our obedience to God. We will find satisfaction at the expense of our obedience to God. This is kind of the the heart of the matter. This is what temptation really is all about. Temptation is the opportunity to try to find our fulfillment, our meaning, our satisfaction, but in the process, it's going to cost us our obedience to God. It unmasks temptation. It shows you how dangerous it really is because temptation will always make you a promise it cannot keep. Temptation will always tell you if you just say yes, if you just give in, if you just spend this money, if you just spend the night, if you just say what you really want to say in the moment, you'll feel so much better. But how many of you guys know that is not how things actually work out? More often than not, when we give in and say yes, when we should have said no, when we do the unhealthy thing instead of the healthy thing, we end up feeling worse. Why? Because every single time we sacrifice our obedience so that we can find some momentary satisfaction, we're actually separated a tiny bit from God. And that actually is the biggest problem. It's the deepest need inside of all of us. I told you a minute ago, every single one of us needs to experience a close, personal, real, and intimate relationship with our creator. That is what we were designed for. And I would argue every single issue and problem and mistake and sin you will ever make stems from the fact that we are separated from our creator. And each time we choose to take a shortcut, each time we choose to try to find our fulfillment in someplace other than what God says is best for us, we short circuit what God is trying to do in our soul. Do you realize that? Every shortcut will short circuit what God wants to do in your soul every single time. And so the problem with temptation is that it promises you that you will be satisfied and in the end, you are less satisfied as a result of giving in to this particular temptation. So there are two definitions, okay, of temptation. And again, I want you to keep those in the back of your mind because we're going to refer to them over the next several weeks. And I want you to figure out which one of these speaks to me, which one of these is helpful. And whoa, that, that changes my perspective a little bit. I'm starting to understand a little bit more clearly. Now for the next 10 or 15 minutes, what I want to do is I want to give you three thoughts regarding temptation. Three general thoughts about what the scripture says in regard to temptation, how you can overcome it, how you can be free from the cycle of mistakes and regrets and sins that you really just want to let go of. And here's the cool thing. I think a lot of this is going to be pretty surprising for you guys. I think a lot of you guys are going to be surprised to hear some of the things that the scripture has to say on the subject of temptation. So let me give you the first one here, and I think it's probably the most surprising if you don't already know it. You ready? It's not a sin to be tempted by sin. How many of you guys know that? Okay, a few of you guys do. A few of you may not. This might be the very first time that you're ever understanding this. It is not a sin to be tempted by sin. So the Bible tells us here in, in the book of Hebrews, it, it tells us about Jesus that he is our high priest. And it says, Jesus understands our weakness. 
Now, I could stop right here. And truthfully, you guys, I could talk to you for 30 minutes just about that one phrase. See, because some of you guys, you're caught in this cycle. You can't let go. You know you're struggling. You know you're doing the wrong thing when you should be doing the right thing. And you hate yourself for the decisions you're making, for the stuff you did last night. You're carrying around regret and shame and remorse. And you're like, oh, if I feel this bad about my life, God must feel even worse. I mean, that guy must be so mad at me right now. He must be looking down at me saying, how can you be so stupid? Why do you keep giving in to the same temptations? Why do you keep trying to pet the dog? You know you're gonna get bit and yet you do it again and again and again. But can I say the scripture says, Jesus understands our weakness. If you really sat down and thought about that for a moment, That's a game changer. Jesus knows the temptations that I go through. He understands how much it pulls my heart. How can that be? How can he understand? Well, the writer of the book of Hebrews goes on to say, Jesus faced all of the same temptations and testings that we do. Every single temptation that you have ever faced, Jesus went through it as well. The only difference between me and, well, not the only difference, but one of the differences between me and Jesus is that Jesus was able to successfully navigate those temptations and never give in. Jesus understands my weakness because he's been there and he's overcome. So check this, Jesus never sinned, but Jesus was tempted. Therefore, we can gather that temptation itself is not sin. See, temptation is merely the invitation to sin. That's all it is. And if you start to think through it in that perspective, suddenly it loses a lot of its power. Because what the enemy will try to do is tell you that once you feel tempted, it's already too late. You've already crossed the line. You've made a mistake. And what he'll tell you, what the voice of temptation will say is, well, you've already stepped over the line once. Why not step over it again? Or why not step in a little bit deeper this time? Listen, I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I sit across the table from somebody and they say, I don't know why I do it. But it's like I think to myself, well, I've had one affair. Why not another? I can't tell you how often I have conversations with people and they're like, I don't know why I can't get my spending under control. I know what the scripture says about stewardship. And yet it's like, I think to myself, I've already got 12 grand in debt. What's another 500? I can't tell you how many times I talk to people and they say, it's like, I feel like I've failed. And since I've already dipped my toe in, I might as well just dive in. See, that's a tactic of the enemy. He's trying to get you caught up in a cycle in which you feel defeated because you were merely tempted. But temptation is not sin. Temptation is merely an invitation to sin. It is merely an opportunity to do the wrong or unhealthy or unhelpful thing at any given moment. Temptation is not sin. So let me illustrate. If maybe you're in conflict at home or at work, or God help you on Facebook, maybe you're caught up in some sort of back and forth. And in the moment, You really just want to let loose. You want to vent. You want to say everything that's in your mind. You want to tell that person off and how stupid they are. Okay, if in that moment you recognize, wait, 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 I haven't crossed a line here. Instead, I'm at this point of decision. I could cross a line. And you're able to bite your tongue or you're able to close the browser. You have gained a victory. And that is a good thing. That should be celebrated because 
temptation itself is not sin. It is simply the invitation to sin. Now, look, yes, of course, ideally, you would get to the point where not only would those words come out of, never come out of your mouth, but they would never enter your head. But let's do baby steps here, okay? We're going to celebrate the little baby steps. And so if you're able to bite your tongue, if you're able not to let loose and get angry and vent your frustration in the moment, that is a win. And it brings you closer to who God wants you to be. Maybe I'll give you another illustration. Let's say that you're driving down the road in your neighborhood. And ladies, you see a guy with his shirt off and he is ripped and tanned and fine. He's jogging down the road. Now we're talking plus 25, not minus 25, obviously here, but let's say he's doing that. Or fellas, let's say you're driving down the road in your neighborhood and you notice a really nice pair of yoga pants. You know what I mean? You're just like, wow. You could approach that in a few different ways. And the healthy way, the scriptural way is to say, okay, this is an invitation to take a shortcut, an invitation to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And so the healthy thing in that moment to do would be to say, dang, God, that is a beautiful person. Good work. And then go on about your day. <laughs> the unhealthy way is to slow down so you get a longer look as you're driving past. And listen, if you circle the block so you can come back for another look, you're a stalker and the police are going to come, okay? <laughs> Temptation is not a sin. It's just an invitation to do something that will be harmful to you in the long run. This is important, again, because the enemy will try to keep you in a cycle. He will try to convince you you've screwed up, you've messed up, you've already dipped your toe in, so go all the way. Don't buy that lie. That's bondage. That's why people end up in cycles of addiction that they cannot break because they think, I've already done it once, I might as well do it again. No, you don't have to. Okay, second thought. None of us are above temptation. Do you realize that? None of us are above temptation. You see that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 12, the, the passage that we read at the start of the message, it says, if you think you are standing strong, you better be real careful that you don't fall. If Jesus was tempted, how much more likely is it you think that I'm going to be tempted or that you're going to be tempted? Every single person on the planet is vulnerable to temptation. And one of the worst things you can do is to pretend that you're above temptation. One of the worst things you can do is to say, well, I would never do that. The moment you say that, you are setting yourself up. As 1 Corinthians says, you need to be careful that you don't fall in that moment. You think you're standing strong, but you need to be careful. Because again, we have an enemy, and this enemy, one of his tactics, one of the ways that he would attack you is, of course, in your weaknesses, and you know that, right? Like, you know you'll be attacked in the points that you're weak. So if you're weak in the area of lust, then, man, you're going to find a hot pair of yoga pants to look at. That's just the way it works. It's easy. Everybody expects that. But you will also be tempted in your areas of strength. And the reason for that is because if the enemy, if Satan can get you to fall there, then it's very dramatic, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, seriously, if you think I would never do that and then you do it, that's a big one. How many times have we heard the story of somebody doing something illegal or immoral and everybody around is like, oh, I would have never expected that from her because she was attacked in strength, and we didn't think that was possible. None of us are above temptation. 
And so, my friends, we have got to guard against self-confidence. Like, we have got to say, look, I, I am just as likely to do something terrible as anybody else on the planet given the right circumstances because I know that about myself, because I know deep down inside that my will is just bent towards doing the wrong thing. I do the wrong thing more than the right thing. The Bible says I have a sinful nature. I tend to think that's probably true based on my life experience. Because of that, it is incredibly important that I don't walk through life saying, well, I'll never make those mistakes because we are all vulnerable to temptation. None of us are above temptation. And until you are willing to admit that you are at risk like everyone else, then you are very, very vulnerable. One more thought on vulnerability, and this is it. We'll wrap up with this. You are most vulnerable when you're most isolated. You are most vulnerable to temptation when you are most isolated. We read 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 13, and, and in this passage, it, it says, the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out. Listen, the enemy will try to tell you, you're the only one that struggles in this. You're the only one that struggles this bad. Other people, they have light temptations, but you've got a real one. And nobody's gonna understand why this is so desirable. Nobody's gonna understand why you keep drinking. Nobody's gonna understand why you keep spending the night at her house. Nobody's gonna understand why you keep trying to find satisfaction at the cost of your obedience. See, you are most vulnerable when you're most isolated. And so there's gonna be a voice that says, nobody, nobody should know about this. Don't tell anybody because they're gonna reject you. They're not gonna understand. They're gonna think less of you. You're gonna be even more isolated. You're gonna feel worse about yourself. So this is your secret. Keep it private. Nobody else needs to know about it. But do you see what it says here in, in 1 Corinthians 12? The apostle Paul says, the temptations you go through are the same ones that everybody else experiences. Uh, listen, I'm a pastor, so people tend to tell me what they struggle with, and I'm going to spill your secrets to everybody else in the auditorium. I talk to guys almost every week, and they say, Dan, I'm struggling with an addiction to pornography. I want to overcome it. I don't know how. Help. And they think they're alone. They think they're the only ones that's really struggling with this. Mm -mm. I talk to women all the time and they say, listen, I don't love my husband. It's like, there's no romance. There's nothing there. And I don't know how to handle it. I'm thinking about leaving or I'm very tempted to start a relationship with somebody else. What do we do? And those conversations, they happen all the time. People share with us their burdens. And you know what's crazy? It's like the same conversations over and over and over. Now listen, the good news about that is it means you're not alone in what you're going through. Fellas, you're not alone in that battle. Ladies, you're not alone in your battles. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to just be sexual. I'm not picking on that. I mean, truly, it's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's financial, it's relational. It's every single part of your life. You're not alone. There is no temptation that has taken you except that which is common to mankind. We all struggle with the same stuff. So what we need then are real relationships with each other so that people can encourage us and hold us accountable. This is why connect groups are so incredibly important. This is why we're constantly trying to push you guys into a group because it doesn't matter whether you're going to a board game group or you're going to freedom session. Regardless, at some point, you're gonna start to develop friendships that get deep enough that you say to somebody, I've never told anybody this, but I need some help. 
And when that happens, you are no longer vulnerable. You're no longer isolated. Instead, you are in that moment set on the path to freedom. That is the beginning of finding a way out from the sins that have been tripping you up for years and years and years. Listen, your sin, your addiction, it thrives in isolation. It grows in darkness. And so the more you hide it, the more you pretend like you're the only one that struggles and you cannot share it, the more it's gonna grow. But the moment that you take the scripture at its word and say, listen, everybody else is dealing with the same thing. So why don't we just start being honest about it? Wouldn't it be so much healthier if a group of men got together and say, I don't know why, but I keep looking at yoga pants. Or if a group of women got together and said, I don't know why, but I can't stop spending. Or a a, a family got together and they said, I don't know why, but we can't stop yelling at each other. Wouldn't it be great if we could have those sorts of honest and real vulnerable conversations? Wouldn't that be healthy and helpful and life-giving? Yes. It would help us to find a way out. But it goes beyond that because like life-giving relationships are incredibly important. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to minimize them. You need to be in a connect group. Seriously, go sign up today. And it takes a little bit more. You need some help from God. And the good news is this verse tells us God is faithful. When you're tempted, he will make a way out. What that means, my friends, is that the things that you think you will never be free of, you say, I've been dealing with this for 11 years. There's no way I'm ever going to be beyond this. It's not true. With God, there is always a way out. And I'll tell you, the reason that we have a way out is because Jesus didn't take the way out. When he was tempted, he went through the temptation. He didn't just back away and say, nope, I don't want any part of this. I'm God, I don't have to go through this. No, he went through it for us and he came out victorious. Then when it came time for him to die, he didn't back away and say, nah, I don't want any part of this. I mean, this is not what I came here for. No, he said, this is precisely what I came here for. Jesus went through hell so that you don't have to. That's legitimately the teaching of the scripture. He was perfect. He never sinned. You and I are total screw ups, man. I'm messing it up every single day. You think I'm a pastor and I'm so holy? Wrong, ask my wife. I need God's grace every single day. And so do you. So the great thing is, the way out that God offers us is through grace from him. He understands our weakness and he conquered our sin through Christ. And then he wants to put you in a series of life-giving relationships in which you recognize that you are not alone. And there are people who will walk through this with you so that you can become the person that God always intended for you to be. Guys, there is a way out from whatever you've been struggling with. You'll find it in Christ. You'll find it in his community. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I pray for every person in this theater and I pray they would understand that freedom is possible. Whatever burden they're carrying around, whatever sin and addiction they've been uh, cycling through for months and years, God, I pray through the power of your spirit and through the truth of your word that you would begin to set them free today. I pray that life would change for them. Their desires would change. They would understand that temptation is not sin in and of itself. It's a shortcut and it's a promise that cannot be fulfilled. I pray, Lord God, that our hearts would be tuned to yours and we would do the right thing, the healthy thing, the scriptural thing, the thing that would cause us to grow in our faith and to become the people that you've created us to be. Help us to be honest about our struggles to you and to others, God. We know we'll find healing in that. So we ask this in your name, amen. 